Hi, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Roverman. I don't usually come on uh, before the podcast, but I wanted to mention that uh, recently someone really important to the comics community passed away. Uh, you might have heard Darwin Cook, the man behind DC's uh, New Frontier. Uh, he's redesigned Catwoman. He did the Parker books and adapted them as uh, graphic novels. So uh, he passed away due to lung cancer recently. And I wanted to just reflect on, on his career. It's, it's a major loss for the community. He had a very unique style and he mentored a lot of people along the way. He was sort of an old school guy. He complained about the suits in the industry, but to anyone who was an artist or a fan, he was a very, very sweet guy. So, uh, Darwin, uh, we wanted to have you on this podcast. Uh, I'm sorry we'll never get a chance, but you will be missed, and we'll always have your work. Thanks, Darwin. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Broverman. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. And with me today, we have D.A. Bishop. At least that's how you may know him if you've read his work. The comic he's working on right now is called of stone it's uh, released three issues so far and you can check it out on comicsology it's a basically a medieval fantasy sci-fi comic in the vein of something like game of thrones or lord of the rings and it's about an ogre king who when he's defeating an enemy of the kingdom the enemy speaks something that he thought was impossible and the enemy gives him some information that sets him on a really disturbing path so welcome uh how are you today i'm well thank you good good i i hope that intro did your comic justice because it was epic when i when i read (laughs) it i i really liked it like you're you're put right in the head of this character gan the Mm -hmm. ogre king you have like a very descriptive way of writing and it's very much like you know a J.R.R. Tolkien sort of you know medieval language that that you that you use which I really like plus you're the artist too so the art was really good but I but I really thought that the writing uh stood out and put you right in the action and and you know gripped me and I and I and I and I didn't want to let go so I I really liked it but before we get into that I just want to know where are you from where did you uh grow up started in Montreal and then moved to Brampton okay then moved to Toronto once I uh, got out of my teenage years yeah so I've been around a bit and do you do you live in Toronto now still or no I live out in Pickering okay so east of uh, for those that don't know it's east of pickering and it's funny you know because whenever i I do say pickering people say it like it's this faraway mystical land but i mean it's a 25 minute train ride or half an hour car ride it's not not Uh, not so far it's like a like a regular suburb oh yeah there's a good group of uh creators in durham oh yeah oh yeah who's there well you got fred kennedy Val Delandrio, uh, Richard Pace lives out there, I think. Um, Alex Chung, Fred, Fred Kennedy, Jay Torres, Richard Pace. Jay Torres, too. Yep, yep, he lives out there. Oh, cool. I'm sure there's more. Do you guys get together or? Occasionally, yeah. Uh, for What do you do, like draw and drink no, kind of thing? or go for a pint and just be social. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. So how did you originally get into comics? Get into drawing them or get into reading them? Well, I think first you started out as a fan, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So how did what sparked your interest? It was X-Men 122. Okay. I had never seen anything like it before. It just, it just blew my mind. And I, I saw it on a spinner rack in the in the Depaneur in Montreal there. And I, I said, oh, I got to pick this up. Because there was this I don't know, giant metal dude on it. And he was being crushed by these 
walls that were closing in with these big huge spikes and there was some other dude in a yellow costume i don't know who he was but he was just sitting there all casual it was it was awesome so i after i read the book i discovered that it was uh colossus and wolverine and i was like oh those guys are cool i'm gonna try and find out more so i'd always go back to the store to try and find more they never picked anything up do you know what brought you to the depender the first time oh i don't know i think my mom needed to get bread or something like that you were just wandering around yeah. and you saw it I saw a giant metal dude. It's like, mom, can I have this, please? It's only a quarter. Yeah. Whatever it was. I think it was a quarter. Cool. But then I just, you know, I love comics. So if there were comics, I was reading them. Nice, nice. So like what age were you when that first happened? I was nine. Nine. I was nine. So that's almost 40 years ago now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So you're, you're collecting comics. Once you started getting more heavily into it, were you like a big, a big collector? Honestly, I've never been a big collector. Okay. I've, I've only recently started seriously collecting and that's the uh, Swamp Things. Oh, the Swamp Things now that are coming out or? Uh, Anything Swamp Thing. Okay. So you, you read obviously the classic saga of the Swamp Thing by Alan Moore and John Huddleben. Yeah. I, I actually let go of comics for a little while and I was working, uh, in a kitchen and I worked with these two dudes who also really love comics. And they're, they're telling me, it's like, Oh, you know, you got to check out Swamp Thing. Uh, it's by this guy named Alan Moore. He's this incredible writer. So I'm right. Oh, I'll check it out. But are you sure? And they're like, yeah. When did this happen? When it was first so coming this was out? Back or? in 88, maybe 89. Oh, so it was right when the actual books yeah, were coming out. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. it, it, I mean, I started reading them and it was right up my alley you know, nice and mysterious and dark and exciting. And and I love the art because the art was itself was creepy. Yeah. And then there's, I think there's like plant sex. Like she takes like a yeah. mu- mushroom off of him. And yeah. So there's that and the, yeah. the tuber. The tuber. The yeah. Right. There you go. And uh, there's this dude, Chester, who was like this old, old hippie. He was great. I mean, there were just so many great characters in the book and I just loved it. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and I think they're still basically basing everything Sandman off of off of that original uh, run by Alan Moore and John Oliver because yeah. I mean you see the same characters like you see uh, Abigail her name yep yeah like his girlfriend yep and she you know I guess recently she came back and I know she was in the new 52 one yeah she was um very different of course I didn't know much about their romantic history right as I said recently, I started collecting them. So I was able to find, you know, number one, number two, um, and a couple of the earlier ones. And then. Oh, like the Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Len Wein ones. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, so I'm so excited about those. Wow. Did you get the first appearance, House of Secrets? No, but I keep an eye out for it. Okay. Even though, like, I'm sure I'll never have enough money for it. I think, like, I have a copy of an early Swamp Thing. And it's, it is, it's, I think it's like number five. It's the yeah. one where the mob has all the pitchforks and the torches yeah, and yeah. They're, they're coming after him. Do you yeah, have that one? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I have crazy. a whole list somewhere in my, so, a, so I keep my list on my phone. So if I'm in a comic shop and it's like, Hey, do I have this one? I can go on my list and see, Oh no, I don't have this one yet. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Ever know, baby. So what do you, what do you love about Swamp Thing? Is it just the horror? Is it just, I don't know. I think what I enjoy about it is that it's not just a punch things in the face kind of comic book. You know what I mean? Like it's a very, very dark and and broody book. And there's a lot of sort of philosophical questions that he asked because, I mean, when Alan Moore rewrote the story, you know, he was no longer, I can't believe I just dropped his name. Something. Alec Holland. Alec Holland. Thank you very much. He was no longer Alec Holland, but a plant that thought he was Alec Holland. Right. That was cool. That was a cool twist. And yeah, so I yeah. I just love be- finding out more about that. Be- and then the Parliament of Trees and this whole sort of mystical side of things. And then, you know, John Constantine jumps jumps into it and things just get all yeah, crazy. It's amazing because for those who don't know or for those who are, who are new to Swamp Thing, the Alan Moore run flipped how it was originally. Yeah. You know, the origin is like Alec Holland, this, this lab tech scientist guy he's working in the swamp on like um you know flowers and different plants and that sort of thing he's a he's a sort of botanist type of person and his lab uh, explodes and blows up and he runs out on fire of his lab and is basically falls into the swamp he falls into like the bog and the water and that kind of a thing 
And then he turns into Swamp Thing because all yep. the chemicals from his lab mixed with the swamp water turn him into Swamp Thing. And he's always been still a man underneath. Yeah. But what Alan Moore did is basically he said Alec Holland actually died that yep. night that his uh, lab caught on fire. But what happened is through all the like DNA and the chem- and the chemicals that were mixed with the DNA of of Holland, the plants started eating that. The aphids, the bacteria, all that stuff in the swamp started eating it and took on the characteristics of Alec Holland and then started forming into Alec Holland and had all his same memories and all the same things, but it wasn't really him. It was just the plants that came together and thought they then, were a man. There's also a mystical side to it as well with um, the idea of the Parliament of Trees and that there has always been a representative of the green. Like a Mother Nature sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's always been a Swamp Thing. There's an entire, I mean, it's there's this whole line of Swamp Things going back as far as time. Right. And Alec Holland becomes the new one, or at yeah. least the plant who thinks yeah. that they're Alec Holland. Yeah. And uh, the idea of, of this sort of mystical side of things being around as long as it had been, and that there had been more than just one swamp thing, I thought that was, it was really great to read. Right. Yeah. And very dense, like mm-hmm. very dense text-wise. Yeah. Are you a little bit influenced by Swamp Thing with Of Stone? Because I noticed that like your text and the way that you write and the descriptions yeah. are very much like the way Alan Moore not, uh, um, writes Swamp Thing. Probably not consciously. Okay. I, I wanted to be very careful with the words that I chose in that book because I wanted the language to be uh, very particular. I didn't want to... I wanted to seem like an old style of talking but without all the these and thous and that kind of right, right. That like you don't want it to be like full like Shakespeare. No, no, okay. nothing like that. Yeah, you know. But it was important that it still was readable, right? And it made sense. Like when the characters talk, they say things that I mean they would say, right? And not just that a writer would have them say, right? You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, I mean you are having them say it. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but it, I don't want it to read like it, like it, it's someone else behind it. Yeah. You want to read like it's an organic yeah. kind of experience. You know, this is this is what the character would say, this is what they do. And with the the first book, because it was it was all sort of all the text was inside his head, that was difficult. Mm-hmm. Because I, I mean I know a lot of people don't like that. They like actual external dialogues. They want stuff people to be talking to each other and stuff to be happening. Right. But I mean it's a it was a it's a very solitary story for him. Yeah. He's out away from the kingdom. Mm -hmm. He runs into this shadow monster. I always struggle with the name. What are they called? The Vraithund. Vraithund. There you go. Vraithund. And he runs into the Vraithund and they've been sort of, I guess, battling for centuries. It's sort of implied. Sort of the, the age old enemy. The age old mortal enemy. Yeah. And then he gets in this battle with, with this Vraithund and the Wraithen talks to him or like yeah. whispers something in his ear as he's like wrestling with it and like defeating it. Yeah, so the uh, he's wrestling with one and he kills it, but there's another one. Okay. And the fact that there's two together is highly unusual, but when the other one speaks, um, that's what sort of sets him off. And it's kind of like a prophecy, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it foretells of like a massive loss in his family and mm-hmm. it and it sort of shakes him up for like the rest of the comic. Yeah. And th- that's the thing that'll drive the entire uh the entire series. Really. Yeah. And like you kind of know what the Vraithan said but not really. Mm-hmm. It's sort of implied. Mm-hmm. Or do you think we're ever going to find out what the full story is? Oh yeah. With that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That could like I said, I have the the first six issues all planned out, so I know exactly what's going to happen with that. Um, and then, if and when there's more, you know, I have the, my little point forms of about how other parts will come together. So by the end of the six issues, are we going to know like the full prophecy? No, no, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, okay. So 
it's going to extend even more. I mean, and then in like in the second issue, you introduce more characters, you introduce humans, yeah, you introduce uh, other members of the, of the universe, and then in the third issue, and we do see him a little bit in the second issue. You introduce his name is Reese, I think. Yes, and Reese is like Gan, the Ogre King's like best friend. Yeah. Right, and they're like, but but they have like a tumultuous relationship because Reese is sort of a hothead, and like if you yeah, he's, if you cross him or you get on his bad side or he's in a bad mood, yeah, he'll like battle you. It's it's not it's not just that he's a hothead though. It's it's that he's actually quite mad. Okay, you know he's quite insane. Okay, so um, he's a minotaur that uh, has built this labyrinth. Um, and the, the labyrinth has been built in a very specific way, and everything within that labyrinth means something, and everything has its place, and he's very particular about where everything is. Right. Like someone with OCD sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But what he's trying to do is he's sort of trying to solve this life equation. In doing that, he's found that he's been able to predict the future almost. Right. So he can tell when something's going to happen through the calculations that he's written out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how the second book starts out. So that, he knows, sort of, about the about the prophecy. He knows something's up. Yeah. But he doesn't know specifically what it is. Right. It's not very specific. It's more like you will meet a tall, dark stranger. Well, that could be anybody. Right. Right. But So how did you get the idea for of Stone? Because as I understand it... You wrote it as a one shot first, yeah, and then it took you two years to write it as like an ongoing. So it was on yeah. the shelf for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I did. What's up with that? I, well, I did the the first book because I started out doing Stranger, which was my zombie webcomic. Okay, you know, I had a lot of fun with it, but then I also had these other ideas in my head, and I I wanted to do something that showed that I wasn't just a zombie guy; that I could do other things as well. Okay. And originally, the way that character had started out, he was sort of part of an ensemble, and I wanted to do this whole sort of weird alternate universe, but sort of noirish crime tale set in this semi-medieval world. And So Gan was part of the ensemble? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then I couldn't really figure out what exactly I wanted to do, but I just kept returning to that one big character. Okay. And uh, just came together from there. So uh, I just had this story and I, you know, I, when I worked downtown, I would write it on my way on the go train, you know, do my little thumbnails on the go train down. I'd do them on the way home. I'd write it on the way home. And I eventually got to the point where I was able to sort of draw it and, and I, you know, I added the grays to it and printed it out and sold a few books and it's been relatively well received. Uh, but then I did the second one, like you said, two years later. But that's only because when I wrote the first one, it really seemed like there was more more happening in that world, and I, I wanted to write that first one like it was it was its own world, okay, um, and that there were other things happening. And so in the first book, I've, I I've hinted at other things happening. So if you go through, you can see a few suggestions that I put in there that, that there's going to be more. So when I did the second one, uh, I did that one in color. So I went back to the first one and I recolored that one and then I put them all up on Comixology. Oh, so in the two years, you it just took you that long to recolor it? Uh, no, no, it just took me that long to figure out that I wanted to do more than just one. Okay. Yeah. What were you doing in the interim? Just a lot of thinking or? No, no. I mean, I was still working on, no, I was doing uh, Deep Sea, which I kickstarted with Rick Lima. Okay. Squirrels. Came out. That was from the twelve-hour comic marathon. Okay. I mean, I did some other, a few pages with another writer named Ben Rosenthal. Okay. uh, Of of Stone. No, no, no. Just on their own things. Other things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you were just busy. Yeah. You put it to to the side as a one-shot comic. Yeah. You moved on to other things. Yeah. And then did people start demanding that you that you follow up or what? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if people demanded it or not, but people would ask, you know, are you going to do more? Are you going to do more? And I said, well, I've kind of left the door open, but when it's time, I'll I I'll would call more. it, if people are asking, I mean, yeah. that's yeah, more yeah, than yeah. people not asking. <laughs> I would call yeah. it demanding. Yeah. So, um, so I just started doing it again. I'm really excited to do it. Cool. So going back to your earlier life, mm-hmm. I mean, 
and your interest in comics, what did you like about them? Like, why, why did you keep reading? I was just, it was just the imagination that went into them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's like Saturday morning cartoons that I could read, right? I, I mean, I love these Saturday morning cartoons. That's a good option. Um, but I could sit there and I could pick them up and I could take them anywhere and I could read it anytime and I could read it as many times as I wanted to. Whereas at the time, you know, with Saturday morning cartoons or even after school shows or whatever you want to watch, once it's over, it's over. Right. You know, but with these books, I can go back to them as often as I want. Nice. And that was, that was exciting to me. Did you get them on a weekly basis or no. just oh, whenever no, you really could find sporadically. them? Oh yeah. I mean, I love them. You know, I, it was hard to justify to my parents when I was a kid that I needed this or I needed that. So did you get an allowance later on in life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But not, not when I was that young. So if you wanted a comic, you had to like beg your parents for yeah. it and then they had to think about getting it for you and yeah. then they had to get it for yeah. you. Yeah. And so it was only like basically like a once in a blue moon. like a product of opportunity where yeah. you'd be where a comic was yeah. and your parent would relent and, and get if they were in a giving mood yes okay yeah okay so you couldn't really keep track of series or anything at that point you just I, I didn't even know about the i didn't know there was these big ongoing stories or anything like that i just thought they were cool little stories i didn't really get it okay mm-hmm. Interesting. And where was this happening? Like, where were you, where were you growing up at the time? I left Montreal, come to Brampton. And I don't know if I bought that many comic books while I was in Brampton. But when I moved to Toronto, I started investigating these comic shops at the best of those coworkers that I had when I was more 18, 19. Ah, I see. So you're 18, 19. You're working where? I was working at a Swiss chalet. And, as well as like, yeah. and then these coworkers who introduced you to Swamp Thing yeah. were like... Oh, they got me hooked. And then they're, they're like, oh, you got to check out this uh, Dark Knight Returns. You got to check out The Killing Joke. You got to check out... Um, or Because one of the guys was a huge Batman dude. Yeah. Like, he was a massive Batman fan. Well, they both kind of were one more than the other. Uh, but then they were telling me about this book uh, that the writer of, of Swamp Thing came up with called Watchmen. They said, I'll pick that up if you can. Yeah. It's like, okay, sure. And this is like right around the time all this is coming out, like 1988. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're on the forefront of comics that are still influencing yeah. the comics of today. Yeah. Had um, I kept them, had I collected them at the time, probably would have been wise. Wh- know, the, what happened to them? Oh, I don't know. You just read them and... I read them and they went somewhere. And, oh, yeah. Okay. I, oh, no, I remember now. I had a whole collection. I had... I had a lot of X-Men and X-Factor and New Mutants. I was picking up all of those. Yeah, 90s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like 80s, 90s. Yeah. And um, I went to college, discovered Where- Beer and Girls. My mom was like, well, you know, we're having a garage sale. What do you want me to do with these old comics? I was like, eh, just... Oh, them. It's okay. man. Whatever. You regret so, that now, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah, okay. I did because some guy swooped in and bought like four long boxes for 20 bucks or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But it, I mean, it's one of those things, right? I mean, it kind of sucks for me, yeah. but at the same time, imagine this gold mine that this dude found. Like imagine how you'd feel if you found a stack of comics like that for 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, it would probably totally make your day, right? Totally. Totally. And at the time it, may, it maybe didn't make your day, you know, so much, but now like, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Now if, if I, if I had them, yeah, you know that expression. Yeah, yeah. If I only had held on to them or yeah, kept them or whatever. Exactly. You're, you know, you're collecting comics of the heyday. What shop are you going to at this time to get your comics? I would go to, I don't even remember what the name of this place was, but there was a place on the Danforth. Oh, what was it called? It was like Danforth and Greenwood. Okay. And it was this tiny little store. Okay. Tiny little store, but they always had everything I wanted. So... I would just go, you know, at lunchtime and I'd just go through the boxes and, and pick up whatever I wanted. Or, you know, if I was waiting for something in particular that week. Nice. And you got, you figured out when new comic day was and all that sort of stuff. I don't think I did. Oh, really? You just, I would just go in all the time. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like going to the comic shop today. Okay. I'll go yeah, in and yeah, totally. see what's there and see what's out. So in addition to Swamp Thing, what are you also collecting? Hellblazer. Okay. So Swamp Thing and Hellblazer were the ones that I 
that I wanted because to John Constantine makes an appearance in yeah. Swamp Thing. Yeah, so yeah. you must have been like, "Oh, who's this? Yeah, oh, they're doing an ongoing of him. I, yeah. I want to keep then, up with it." What I loved about the Hellblazer though were the covers. Okay, the covers just always blew my mind. They're always so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think it was Kent Williams did a, a whole bunch of those first ones. Okay, those just blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, that's crazy. Like it's like it's like kind of the modern. The golden age of the modern age, where like <laughs> where like where like you know Vertigo is starting, and yeah. all these DC books yeah. are coming out that are amazing. Sandman, all this stuff. See, I've Swamp never read thing. Sandman. You've never read Sandman. I've never read Sandman. Oh well, that's yeah. one of them too. <laughs> but, you know, you have to you have to read it. One, yeah. one of these days. But yeah, no, I mean Swamp Thing and Hellblazer, like great yeah. comics to get started, like yeah. seriously collecting. Yeah. When did you know, the idea of like becoming an artist happened. Like when did you want to start making your own comics? High school. Okay. High school. I still want to make comics. I, uh, I would just draw all the time. I told my parents, I said, you know what? I want to, I want to make comics for a living. So I submitted to Sheridan and Humber and I think George Brown. Okay. I think a bunch of those schools. And you were in Brampton at the time or Toronto? Yeah, Brampton. Brampton, okay. No, 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 that's right. I was in Toronto. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I was in Toronto, um, but I got accepted into Sheridan, but conditionally because I didn't get into what I wanted to get into. And they said, here, take this fundamentals course and uh, you'll be accepted into the fundamentals course. And it's a one-year program. And once that's done, then you can decide what you want to do with that. Did you go into the fundamentals course? Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. And that- What did they teach me, you? Well, life drawing, painting- 3D design, printmaking, a little touch of everything, really. Okay. Yeah. But then discovering painting was the greatest thing that I that I ever found. You know, I, I just fell in love with it, and especially the oil painting. That's what I love doing. Describe <clears throat> so why. Why oil painting? Yeah, wh- and just, painting in general. I just love doing it. You know what I mean? I love putting the colors right down and making it happen right there. And I, what I loved about... Uh, the oil painting was just that, you know, you, you can take your time with it. Just the, just the way the, the oils felt and smelled, the way they smelled, man, I love that smell. Yeah. It was it was just so much fun. I, it's something that I really loved. And so I totally forgot about comic making. I said, okay, well, let's forget about comic making. I want, I want to paint. Okay. So that's what I, was, I uh, started studying. So you started studying painting. You dropped the comics for a bit. Yeah. I dropped the comics for a long bit. How long? <laughs> So that was the end of that. I mean, I, I'd still pick comics up every once in a while, but I didn't get back into drawing comics until 2009. Wow. Maybe when so, I started doing Stranger again. Oh. Or I started doing Stranger. Period. We'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. So when did you discover painting? Like what? And drop 91. comics? 90, 91. Okay. So, you're, so you got into comics seriously in like 1988 when Swamp Thing's coming out. Yeah. And then you dropped them again in 91 because you discovered I didn't painting. Drop, I didn't drop the comics. Oh, okay. I dropped the idea of making to, comics. The idea of making comics. Ah, okay. But I still picked up the books. I see. Yeah. I see. So you're, you're like painting. What did you learn in terms of studying for painting? Were you as enamored with it when you started studying it seriously? Yeah, I mean, it's. I just discovered this sort of affinity for it, I guess. Okay. And it just, I felt it really agreed with me, and I felt very happy when I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I screwed it up, I was still happy with it. Um, what kinds of things did you paint? Lots of angels. Everything was angels. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it, but I was influenced by those Hellblazer comics, right? So everything, everything had that little bit of darker. A darker tone to it so yeah. the things that i did paint were not necessarily uplifting to look at like golden cherubs or anything like that they were very sort of tall and lean and scraggly haired and i guess a little bit more raw yeah, yeah. okay like lucifer yeah or like those sorts of things yeah 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 like demon angels but like i said you know the the whole sort of dark mystical things uh, interest me you know like when I got into Swamp Thing, you know, the, the darker side of the story was always really exciting. And just because the story was dark, it doesn't mean it couldn't be uplifting as well, right? What attracted you to the darkness? <laughs> you think? I don't know. Maybe I was just trying to be too serious. Or maybe I was just thought I was being cool. But there were, there were stories that I wanted to tell visually. And that's how I felt. 
So that's what would come out on the canvas. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So in your paintings, like, give me an example. Like, what are these angels doing? Are they just there as figures, or is there um, stuff happening? Or what? yeah, I mean, they're they were usually. Uh, I mean, I I had like angels in chains or angels embracing people in various ways. Um, there was one painting I did with this angel that was sort of tearing open its own chest, and all this black stuff was coming out into its hands. Stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, but I mean, I also did another one that's still hanging in my, my parents' place, but it's like this is, like I said, that I don't usually do. And it's the little cherubs carrying this body. That's probably still the best painting I ever did. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if I'll ever even though to... you were attracted to the darkness, yeah. the one painting you did of the light yeah. was like the best painting you ever did. Well, Cause there was, there was only really three colors to it. Okay. What I loved was that how I was able to get so much out of it with just three colors. Okay. That was that was the exciting part. What were the three colors? It was like a yellow, purple, and blue. Cool. Yeah, and just wash over after wash after wash of these different colors. Wow. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, it was fun. So did you end up doing anything with your painting expertise? Like how long was the program? I did um well, after Sheridan, I went to NASCAD for a year. Uh got into fine arts there. What's NASCAD? Uh, Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. Okay. Yeah. Uh, out in Halifax. So I went there for a year and then I was not happy with my situation there and then moved to what was then called OCA. Well, what happened? I was uh, friendly with someone that I didn't want to be friendly with anymore. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you like broke up with a girlfriend or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a miserable miserable year. Oh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. So you came back here. Yep. Right, and you went to where? I went to OCA, which is now OCAD or OCAD U. Yeah, Ontario College of Art and Design. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went there for three years and just kept on painting. So did was OCAD different than? Then Sheridan, in terms of like, did did you just build on was, what you? It was a learned, different program, or? okay, right? So it's it was obviously very different. A, a lot of the courses that I took were mostly focused on painting, like life drawing, watercolor, oils, figure drawing, gesture drawing. Uh, there were some courses that we had to take, which I didn't like, like art history. I mean, I understand the importance of art history, but I I was just never a fan of it, right? So you're doing that, and then you got a lot of like artistic background. Like it's yeah. it's a lot of like classic artistic background happening. Yeah. yeah. So then what happened? Like all this art training. What did yeah. you, what did you do with it? Nothing. I did I did nothing with it for years. I got got fed up with school in general and said, all right, well, I guess I'm done here. I'm gonna go out and get a job doing something. And, Something uh, else. You didn't care what it was. No, I just uh, went out and got a job working in a kitchen again, and I was happy with that for the longest time. So you worked in like restaurants? Yeah. Uh, sous chef, prep cook? No, no, just like dishwasher. Swiss chalet. I'm telling you, I went back to uh, Swiss chalet. Uh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, not even uh, like a cool restaurant job. It's just like a regular Joe job. And I was fine with that. Yeah. 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 I got an offer. Were you, were you painting in your spare time while you were working? Occasionally, yeah. Chalet oh, yeah. And stuff? Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was Often still, or? I was still painting somewhat regularly in the first few years after I left school. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but then I just let it fall by the wayside. Were the you, time. did you regret that you weren't using it? Or? Oh, yeah, man. Okay. Now, especially in hindsight. Okay. So I, I wish I kept it up. What was going on, like emotionally? Like, why do you think you just dropped it and looked into? I was the... just going out and hanging out with friends, and I was just busy. It was more of like an immediate gratification sort of thing. Yeah, it was like I just want to hang out. I just want to yep. make money. So make I can, some money. So I can hang out beers. with my money that I have. Yep. yep. Yeah, and then yep. there you go. And it's a good life, you know, because you're in your twenties and you know everything, and that's what life's all about. Right. So then, and you're you're drawing occasionally. Did, yeah. did you think it was kind of stupid or did you still? No, no, I still loved it. Loved I just it. Never, I just got to a point where I just never really had the time or inclination to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then when did you 
come back to it. It seems like there needs to be, like, at this point in your life, there needs to be, like, an artistic resuscitation (laughs) that takes place. Did that take place? Like, what happened? Yeah, I mean, I was, I switched jobs. So I was, I got promoted up to a kitchen manager. Okay. I was doing that. Switched LA? Yep, yep. Okay. So I was uh, a kitchen manager out at the training center out in Scarborough. I should tell you that I love Swiss Chalet, yeah, by the so way. Do I. Yeah. And I never ate it before I worked there. Yeah. But now that I've I have worked there and I would eat that stuff every day, man. Yeah. No, every I still day. would and, and usually people that work there are like, Oh, I'm so tired of I'm so tired of it. So you're yeah. unique because yeah. Yeah. I still crave it. Yeah. I still crave it. Awesome. It's, but it's the fries and it has to be the fresh cut fries. Okay. Not the, the frozen stuff that I know some stores use. It's, there's something about fresh cut fries that just makes it so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And just being able to see like the the chicken. And that's the thing that roasting the around so, on the on the spit thing. It's not a fancy recipe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know, it's like a teaspoon of salt in the neck, and you baste it in its own fat, and there's nothing to it. Right. You're not adding anything to it, so it's it's tasty. But the chalet sauce. I mean, the sauce. They that they, they have. don't even put on the on the label what's in it. Okay. But all so we you don't even is, know. All we know is no MSG. Okay. But that's all we know. Spices. That's okay. what it says on the label. So it's, it's so secret that not even the employees know I what's know. in the Swiss yeah. sauce. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. But, so you, um, sorry, go ahead. So you were like managing at the training, at the training center, you yeah. said? Yeah. In Scarborough, you were yeah. like a manager there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, was then, it like a test kitchen? Like, were they like testing? No, it was, it was an actual or? working restaurant. Okay. But what they do is they'd have, if someone wanted to buy a franchise or they started working at the company, they would send them to the training store or training location right? so that they could understand what they were getting into. Right. So they'd be on a, a training program. So they'd learn all different aspects of. So you were kind of a teacher. You were teaching. Yeah. And do you have, do you have an affinity for teaching? I guess so. Okay. I guess so. Before I thought about getting into comics, when I was in high school, I thought about being a teacher. Okay. Yeah. I just just really enjoyed being able to sort of show people how to do things and why they needed to do things. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing on their faces when they they got something, when something just clicked Clicked and they understood. Accomplished. It was really cool that that you could sort of pass along that knowledge. Yeah, 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 totally. And it also showed me that there are different kinds of learners out there. Right. Because there's not just one type of learner you and you have to learn how to deal with all these people yeah um visual learners mm-hmm. auditory like those people yep yep some people got to jump in and get their hands dirty some people got to read everything they can first and then they'll they'll do it um some people you just have to explain why something needs to be done and they'll understand so did you get good at like picking up which person went with which learning style usually cool so <laughs> so like teaching which you didn't do but you went into art and then you did the whole swiss chalet thing yeah so you're working at swiss chalet in the training center yeah and then what and then i discovered that i hated my job so i quit okay and you'd been working for swiss chalet for like years yeah it seems like yeah how long i don't know 13 years 13 years something like that wow so then and then all of a sudden it just snapped you were uh, like, I don't like it? Well, I, I just wasn't getting along with my boss at all Okay. at the time. He was always constantly pulling me aside and, and saying, you know, you know, you just, you got to pull your own weight around here. You got to do, you got to snap together. And he was always speaking in very sort of general, general sense. And so I would sit down with him. And I said, okay, explain to me specifically what am I, what I'm doing wrong so that I know what I can improve on. Do better. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm doing the numbers at the end of the night wrong. Or if it's too sloppy, let me know. I can fix that. Or if I'm talking to people inappropriately, let me know. I can fix that. But if you don't tell me what I need to improve, how do I know what you mean? And what did he say when you told him that? <clears throat> he always danced around it. He never gave me anything specific. Weird. Yeah. Um, Maybe he just didn't want to offend you. Some people are I so... I don't know. He's a pretty. He was a pretty bold guy. Yeah. So I never really understood what the problem was. Still to this day, I have no idea what it was. So this wasn't a guy that had like a problem with confrontation. Nope. He just was nope. very non-specific in, to you. Yep. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. And, I, and it got to the point where I hated going into work every day. So I went back to school and uh, studied web design development. Okay. And got into that. Wh- which school did you go to for that? It was like this one private college okay. that I went to for like a 
seven or eight month course. Okay. Yeah. So you got into web development. Is that, is that what you do as your like day job now or no, no, now I am a stay at home dad. Okay. Um, but you I, get to do your art and stuff. Yeah. So I do that whenever I can, but it's surprisingly busy. Mm-hmm. But did you get into, did you get into web development after you took the course? Like oh yeah. Yeah. Me? I did that for almost 15 years, wow. 15 years. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But then I lost my job two years ago. Okay. Which sucked. But fortunately, you know, my wife and I are, are in a place where we can sort of handle the, the stress. Yeah. For a little while. Okay. Yeah. But then in September, I'm going back to school again. What are you going to do in September? ECE. Oh, early childhood education. Early childhood education. There's the, there's the teaching yep. thing that, you, yep. that you're into, right? Yeah. yeah, because I've been volunteering at my kid's school a lot. And so I'm interacting with the teachers, the educators, and talking to them. And uh, you know, doing, doing this lunch supervisor, you got to sort of watch these kids and interact with these kids. And it's, it's really enjoyable. And you know, some grades are a little bit more enjoyable than the others, but... Uh, you know, I just figured, okay, you know what? Maybe I can do this ECE thing. So, okay, interesting. Yep. So you have like a wide variety of experiences. I go everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it's crazy. So where did like the comics come in? I mean, you have this artistic skill. When did that reawaken in your heart? Was it after you left Switch to LA? Oh, yeah. Was it yeah. after you did the web thing? Like yeah. what, what, what was the deal? So I was uh, at my... It was mostly graphic design that I was doing with the with the web. So the web design and development turned into graphic design. Okay. So it was it became more of a print thing mm-hmm. than a web thing. Um, My girlfriend is actually a graphic designer. Yeah. Although yeah. she does a lot of web stuff. Yeah. With her graphic design. Yeah. I mean, web web and print are very different, but I mean, they're both enjoyable. Right. Um, but I wasn't feeling very fulfilled with the artistic side of things. Because one of the attractive things with graphic design is, you know, using this artistic side to sort of put together these jobs for people. And and uh, it came to a point where it was more like a visual data entry. Yeah. People would just tell me what they what they want. And, with, and you would do it for them. And I would do it for them. And I would do exactly what they asked and exactly how they asked. And even if it was terrible, it was a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, if if I felt very strongly about it, I might say, yes, this is a terrible, I will do this, but this is a very terrible idea and this is why. But they would still want it and I would do it. And it, it just became a very sort of soul-sucking job. And unfortunately, you know, the, the company got smaller and smaller and uh, the team that I was working on became smaller and smaller until it was just me. Okay. And it was, it just wasn't very satisfying because I had nobody to bounce ideas off anymore. I right. had nobody to sort of say, nah, you know, I think you should try doing this maybe. Right. You know, and, and it, it was pretty depressing. Yeah. So I needed to, I needed to get that artistic stuff out. Yeah. So, and this has been building up in you for years, it seems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you hadn't yeah. been doing art for how long? Years and years and years. Wow. Um, but I had a blog at the time, com. Okay. And so we talked about like video games and horror movies and nerdy stuff that we thought were cool. Where did the name Rinnard come from? Because you use that as your Twitter now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was talking with a, a buddy of mine, Chris Fairhurst. He runs the uh, the Talking Dead podcast. Okay. In Toronto. In Toronto. Yeah. So they, they do this wonderful podcast all about the Talking Dead. And they actually started it like just when the show was announced because they were huge fans of the comics. Right. And Chris actually introduced me to the Walking Dead comic. Okay. And he he gave me this comic. He said, "Here, man, you got to read this." Around the time that it was coming out, so like twenty oh five. It was actually a little bit before, a little bit before they started talking about making a TV show. Oh. So and like twenty ten ish, twenty oh nine, twenty ten ish. It's probably about oh nine, I think. Yeah. Oh eight or oh nine, I yeah. think it was. But. Okay. So he handed me this this big thick book. I was like, here, man, check this out. I'll lend it to you. You can read it. And I read it, and it blew my mind. It's just like, comics can be like this? This is awesome. Wow. So I would I would wait until he had another book, and then I'd see, because he'd order it. It'd come to the office. I'd see that he'd get it. It's like, okay, when you're done with that, can I borrow that again? Yeah, this was a coworker from yeah. yours? Cool. Yeah. Okay. But then I started, I started, instead of trying to hunt down pictures off the internet for the, the blog that I had um, with my buddies, I would just draw whatever I wanted and use it as the header image. 
So was your blog like a Walking Dead blog, or no. did it also do no? Like, it was pop a lot of zombies. And... We talked a lot about zombies. Okay, we love zombies. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we go to the the Toronto Zombie Walk every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do like a, a video of the Toronto Zombie Walk. We go to uh, the Toronto After Dark Festival yeah. and do video interviews of people there. Cool. Uh, yeah, it was really really fun for a while, but then it just became a lot of work. We just weren't prepared for the the level of work that something like that involved. Yeah. But at, like I said, at the time, you know, I was drawing these little header images and uh, we didn't really do much with the blog anymore, but I still wanted to do something. And uh, I was talking to a coworker and she just said, you know, well, why don't you just draw and put your drawings up there and do that? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a cool idea. So I started doing uh, the webcomic. Okay. Stranger. So tell me about the webcomic. What is Stranger? So Stranger is the story of one man wandering through other people's zombie survival stories. So even though he's not always uh, the main character in the book, he's always going to be in the book. So each issue was sort of its own uh, its own chapter. It, could, it was like a standalone book. But you put the series together, and it sort of forms this long, flowing story. Sort of like The Littlest Hobo. Right. Right? You know how you always had the dog going into people's lives? Yeah. Sometimes they were a big part of the story. Sometimes... They were just hanging out in the background. It was like that. And he was the stranger, this guy. Yeah. Okay, so what do you mean when you say he was wandering through other people's zombie well, I mean, survival stories? In a, he would in always... The typical, in the typical zombie story, you, know, you always focus on one hero or one group of people. Yeah. You know, like The Walking Dead, it's always, you know, this specific Rick's group. group. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, there's a whole other world out there with all these other things happening. Right. All these other people. Yeah. You know, like in, in The Walking Dead, I'm sure there's people out there in that universe who we've never met who are carrying on and doing their things. Right. Right. So I just thought it'd be cool to sort of try and tell as many different stories as possible about just different people. Mm-hmm. Trying to exist in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then the stranger, how would the stranger fit in? He was just always running around. Okay. Like in the in the fifth one, which ended up being the last one I did, that story is about a hitman who wakes up and he's been gnawed upon by a zombie and it's the fault of his former boss. Okay. So he decides that the last thing he's going to do before he turns is get revenge on his boss. And uh, the character of the stranger shows up on one panel on one page in the story, but they still intersect. Do they interact with the stranger directly? Or sometimes, they, yeah. Or is he observing or, or what, what happens? Sometimes he's an outsider. Sometimes he's involved. Yeah. it's just And it's just a way to tie everything together. Yeah. Do we learn anything about the stranger? Like what kind slowly, of person he is? Slowly stuff, you know, stuff is revealed. We learn more. He In the first book, he is running away from a group of zombies and he sort of snaps and starts going to town on one of them. And another living person comes up and sees him and says, hey, you know, there's a bunch of them behind me. We better get out of here. And he turns around in this frenzy and kills this person. Wow. He kills this human who then proceeds to haunt him throughout the book. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, so is, he, is he a human or a zombie or what is he? The stranger. Uh, oh, he's human, yeah. He's human. Yeah. Wow. But he's... Also, Homicidal, it seems. Well, no, he just um, he just sort of lost it this one time okay. and made a bad choice. And now it haunts him, quite literally. Oh, I see. So where did you get this idea? I mean, obviously, it came from your love of The Walking Dead and yeah. how The Walking Dead blew your mind. Yeah. What was it about The Walking Dead that you loved? Like I just how, love, what, I just love what zombies. What exploded your mind about it? I just it? love zombies. And I just love the way they told the story and they did things with characters that I wasn't expecting, you know, that you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. If you know The Walking Dead, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Like, like yeah, like you'd have like normal everyday people and then all of a sudden they would do crazy stuff. Yeah. Just you know, basically... Because of the stress of the situation that, yeah. they were, that they were in. Yeah. So, of course, you know what I mean. In terms of, you know, the idea of I want to do a zombie comic, but I want to have a guy that sort of unifies mm-hmm. all these individual stories that I that I want to tell. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? I don't know specifically where the idea came from, but I just wanted to do something different that wasn't 
typical. The problem with the zombie stories is that they're usually all kind of the same. Okay. You know? Same how. Plucky band of survivors grouped together to beat zombies. Right. So I just I just wanted a, a different way to tell the story. And by having different stories and tying them together with this one person, it made it more of a challenge, but it also kept things open to me because then I wasn't tied to anything for a very long time. Like in the second one, it takes takes place predominantly in an elevator uh, between these two characters, you know, and he shows up right at the end. But I, I mean, I could go anywhere with the story. I could tell any kind of story I want. Right. With any characters I wanted. Yeah, even within like the horror genre, you yeah. can tell whatever story you wanted. Yeah. They just like, and sometimes uh, zombies would be tangentially part of it, and sometimes they'd be directly part yep. of it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, the The third book that I did was uh, a completely wordless comic, and so each page had a large image, and at the bottom there were three small panels. Okay. And so. The large panel was always telling one story, and the three small panels were telling what led up to the story being told in the large panels. Ah. So by the time you get to the end of both, they sort of meet in the middle. Oh. Yeah. So it was sort of like separate comics on the same page. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd somehow delineate that on the page that these were separate so people yeah. would understand. Yeah. And then, yeah, weird, crazy. That's like, that's some Scott McCloud ex- <laughs> experimental... Well, I'm just trying to do stuff, stuff right? Just cool. I just want to make something cool. And so I just had the idea and did it. That's awesome. So when did you start being an artist again? I mean, you it seemed like it was about to explode out of you when you were doing graphic design for the web, web development thing. Yeah. When did, when did the art come back? 2008 was probably when it started really, it started trickling out. But then once it started, it, I just kept going. Okay. I would just sketch every day. I'd start drawing every day. I'd. So just because that lady said, put your art on the web thing, you just started drawing stuff to go on the, on the web or. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought a web comic would be fun to do. Cool. Yeah. She must've known that you were an art, like that you were an artist. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. She knew. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've always sort of done it. And especially when I was like doing graphic design, there were elements that I would use to, to being an artist. Um, so she was very aware. Were you painting still too? No, no, not at all. Okay. Yeah. So you went back to comics. How come you didn't go back to painting? That's a really good question. I still love it, but I love telling these stories. Like these stories are here and I got to get them out. Right. You know, I got to put them down. I got to write them down. I got to draw them out. I got to tell these stories. So you would think of the stories and the best way to tell them was as like a com as like a comic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You thought. And because it was on the web and you knew about web comics, Mm -hmm. which you you were reading at the time or? I didn't really know much about them, but I saw other people were doing them. And I was like, well, I I can't afford to print them or anything. But I mean, I have a website and I'm not putting anything up there. So let's put the comics on there. Yeah. That's what I did. Seemed to make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So how long did the, did the stranger last? Five issues. Okay. Five issues, so I would do maybe two issues a year. And and how many panels a week? Like if I'm reading the webcomic, I, I would I would do about a page a week. Page a week, okay. yeah. And and how long were the were the issues? Like standard twenty four or yeah, between twenty twenty and twenty four, depending. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that could last you for quite a long time. Yeah. How long in the span of time did you do it? Like three years, two years? Yeah, it's probably close to three years. Okay, cool. three years, and then. We were planning on doing a six issue because uh, we were going to kickstart that. We were going to kickstart a collection of, of the book. Okay. But that failed. Oh, so it didn't get funded. Nope. Okay. So do, is there a collection of The Stranger at all now? Nope. It's just, it just exists on the web yep. as it is. Yep. Okay. And I've, I have printed out the individual books uh, because I started doing conventions. And that's how I started meeting other people who did this. Uh, and that got me really excited to start doing that. In my naivety, I printed out 250 copies of my first issue. I was like, ah, people are going to eat this up. They're going to love it. I'm going to sell so many books, blah, blah, blah. Got a banner printed up, got all sorts of things done. And then I I got the, uh, my first con experience behind the table and it was very humbling. What happened? 
I barely sold anything. Oh, no. Yeah. And I started realizing there were a lot of people who, as soon as I said the word zombie, their eyes would just sort of glaze over and they stopped listening. Uh, it's like, oh, but it's but it's a good story, I swear. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So you were, like, you, when did you start doing cons? When, when did that, when did you think of that as like a good idea? 2011. Yeah, 2011. And then, and then you became like part of the community through that. Yeah, I think. I mean, I just I started meeting all these people, and you know, these other I, because I'm a, a pretty social guy. So when I'm sitting behind the table, I'll chat. I'll just chat, and yeah. I just started meeting these people and chatting with them and and talking to them, and I discovered that there's all these people who are trying to do the exact same thing I'm trying to do. Right. You know, and they're all like really helpful. They're all really nice, and they got lots of ideas. You know, and they're doing their own cool things too. And so we talk about what we're doing. And uh, it, I got introduced to this really wonderful, supportive community. Yeah. That's here in Toronto. Which is motivating for yeah. you to continue your art. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You're not going to come go back to Swiss Chalet. You're going to keep, yep. keep going, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yep. So in terms of the you going to a con, was that just to sell the book? Like maybe I can sell my book? So I started doing the cons just so I could sell the book. Yeah. Okay. And I had to print them out because I couldn't just sell a webcomic. Wow. You know, so I started printing them out and, you know, and I sold a few here and there and I still have a few issues left sitting in my basement, but. Wow. So how do you feel about all the struggle that you'd have to go through? Like it's, the Kickstarter failing, the first issue not really selling that well of The Stranger. Like what, how do you feel about that? The Kickstarter was disappointing. Okay. Uh, super disappointing. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's the nature of the beast, right? It's going to, it can happen. Right. And you just have to sort of prepare for it. And that's the thing about making comics though, is that just because you think it's awesome, not everybody else is obliged to think that it's awesome too. Right. Right. But if it's something that you want to do, then you keep going, you keep doing it and you not just keep doing it, but try to improve what you're doing. Right. You know, learn how to draw better, learn how to write better, you know, tell a better story, compose a better panel. I'm fascinated by you because it seems like, you know, you tried to escape your art. You tried to do other things. Yeah. But, but the, but the art was in you. Yeah. The art w refused to die. Yeah. It, it came back and whatever. And now that you've had some struggles trying to sell your art at con conventions and stuff. Yeah. Unlike what you may have done previously and like give up and do something else or yeah. try a different, uh, you know, path, you're sticking with it. Yeah. Well, why? But, what is but, motivating you to keep going? That's the thing, Aaron. I mean, if this is something that I'm best at, why wouldn't I do it? Right. And people- Wouldn't, wouldn't it be stupid not to do it? Exactly. And, and it's like a passion that you have, uh -huh. right? It's not that you're necessarily best at it. It's yeah. that it's something that you can't- not do right seems like it's more like a compulsion mm -hmm. for you mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i mean you're not the best artist in the world but no i'm not the, you I'm can't not the best. stop <coughs> doing not art. I'm the best artist in the world yeah. but this is the best thing that i can do do yeah right and you so, love it the most yeah of all the things yeah 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 like that's cool like i i get that like when people are really passionate about something, I like the idea that like they try to bury it. They try to walk away from their passion. It goes away for a while, but because it's such an interest to them, it like calls back to it them, back, even yeah. when they don't mean it to. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really cool. It came around about, right, around about the right time though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know what my life would have been like if, you know, I got through my art fundamentals class back when I was 19 and said, yeah, I'm going to make more comics. And I kept up with that. I don't know where I'd be right now, but that's sort of irrelevant because this is where I am right now. Right. And this is what I'm doing. Right. Right. And you've, you've found your, what you think is your true calling right yeah. now. I mean, I'm, I'm telling some stories that I'm, that I'm proud of, mm -hmm. that I'm happy with, you know, and I, there's more stories to come. I just hope I get them all out before I die. Wow, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And regardless of whether they sell or do anything, you're going to 
keep doing it. Much That's, to the frustration of my wife, yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So cool. Now that you're kind of a little more established, you've done The Stranger, you're doing Of Stone. Yeah. Are you ever going to go back to trying to collect The Stranger? I don't know. Maybe. You know, I don't want to say no. I've got I've got six pages there. Oh, sorry. Six pages of the sixth issue sitting there that we used to preview for the collection. But, you know, maybe I'll go back to it. Okay. I don't know. Sounds good. Well, hopefully you do, because I'm sure there are people out there that would... That would want to read it. Yeah, maybe. And now that of stone is happening, what yeah. are what are your plans for that? Uh, well, I've sent I've sent out pitches for it. One pitch was turned down to publishers. Yeah. Okay. And I'm still waiting to hear back on one of them. Okay. But regardless, I'm still going to make the books. I'm still going to. I mean, even if it's just putting it up on Comicsology. You know, that's what I'll do. And we want them to sell on Comixology, which yes. is why this is the whole reason you're here. We yeah. want we want listeners to listen, check it out, pay the money. How much does it cost per issue? At 90, well, the first issue is $1.99, but two and three are 99 cents. Okay, okay. And then, you know, ideally when people pick them up and they enjoy them, they would also rate them. Right. Because that helps too. Okay. Like this place. If, if you rate this podcast, it helps this it podcast. It helps the podcast. So right? if you buy the comic and rate the comic, it helps the yep. comic, yep. right? Yeah. So that's awesome. So, I mean, folks, these are really good comics. You have to check them out. I mean, I I, I, I read them before uh, I did this interview with, with David. And, and I have to say, I mean, as much of an artist that he is, he's also like a really, really good writer. And you can tell that this is like the tale that he's wanted to tell his entire life. The one that, you know, is the one work (laughs) that he's going to be known for, for sure. I hope it's the one that I'm remembered by so far. I think, I think, I think you will be, man, for sure. If people want to like get in touch with you, find out more about Of Stone or get commissions from you or do that sort of thing, yeah. where can they find you? Uh, always on Twitter at Renerd, which is R-E-N-E-R-D. Yeah, I asked you that question. Where, where does Renerd come from? What is Renerd? It was from it was from a buddy of mine, the same guy that I was doing the blog with. We okay. Were just, we were just trying that to introduce of, you to The Walking Dead. We're, we're, yeah. So we were talking about stuff that we, what sort of name can we give the blog? What sort of domain should we buy? Because, you know, we're reviewing nerdy stuff. It's like, reviewing nerdy, review nerds. No, re-nerds. Ah, re-nerd. that's where it yeah. comes from. It's like so, a combination of review and nerd. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like it. I yep. like it. That's that's a creative thing. And it sounds like an old English name. Yeah. It's, it's cool. <laughs> I like it. So it fits with the of stone uh, stuff and the, and the fantasy stuff that you're doing. Yeah. With the of stone, is that, are you a fan of the fantasy genre as well? Um, sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. I mean, it it depends. I I'm not automatically loving everything just because there's elves that are anything like that. But that's that's one of the things about my book as well is that it's sort of it's not a typical Lord of the Rings universe. Okay. You know, so it's not. Uh, it's got its own lore. It's got its own creatures. It's got its own rules. You know, it's it's not obliged to stick to that which is, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or Lord of the Rings or anything else it's its own thing what made you want to tell a fantasy story i don't know i don't know that's just what came up wow yeah because you're really good at it oh thanks like i don't know i'm trying i I have to admit i've never read the stranger so i don't know how good you are at horror or zombie stuff yeah but the but the the fantasy stuff it's Mm. like you know how to tell these sorts of stories and that you're like a huge fan of them. I remember always liking that stuff when I was a kid too. Okay. Right. So that love has always sort of been there, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be something cool like crawl. Oh man. (laughs) Like I love this because yours is a journey of like rediscovery. Yeah. And now you finally found what you're, what you're passionate about Mm -hmm. and you're doing it in earnest. I mean, you're not just, you have the stranger, you have of stone. You've also worked with other artists and writers on their projects, right? You take, you take assignments, those sorts of things. So, I mean, it's, it's really good. It's like, you know, whenever you come to something, it doesn't matter whether it's late in life early life i mean you're an example of a person who sort of came to into their own later in life oh yeah but it's but it's working out for you yeah i mean like i said i mean i am where i am now and 
and that's what matters. Awesome. Right. I can't sit around and wonder what life would have been like if, you know, if I had done this, if I'd only done that, like maybe this is where I'm supposed to be right now. So I might as well just run with it. Well, I think it is. And I think you should check out this comic and comicsology of stone, uh, the adventures of Gan, the, the ogre King. You have to check it out. You have to see where this goes, what this prophecy is, uh, what it means for the fate of his kingdom. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, D.A. Bishop, David Bishop, for, for coming in and, and, and sharing uh, with us and with me uh, all of the great things that he's doing. And, uh, awesome. and, I, and I hope it continues. Yeah, me too. Awesome, Thanks for having man. me here. You're so welcome. Uh, so, yeah, that, thank you guys for, for listening. If you want to uh, find Speech Bubble, uh, you can find us at Speech Bubble Pod on Twitter or facebook.com slash speechbubblepod. And you can find this podcast on iTunes or on the Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. And rate it. Awesome. Yeah, rate the podcast, (laughs) rate the comic. Do all the things you need to do. Do all the rating. Exactly, exactly. All right, uh, until next time, we'll see you for the next episode of Speech Bubble. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time.